Premier Christian Newscast. Hello and welcome to Premier Christian Newscast. I'm Tim Wyatt, and this week we're considering the fate of the church in a small Gulf state few of us had even heard of just a few years ago, Qatar. Before the tiny Arab nation controversially won the right to host the Football World Cup, Qatar was fairly unheard of in the West. But, as millions of tourists and fans have descended on the country this month to take in the festival of sport, hundreds of millions more are watching intently from afar. With Qatar now in the global spotlight, how is the Gulf nation's small community of Christians faring? This week, we speak with an expert on the persecuted church in the Middle East, and then an Anglican vicar leading a church in the capital Doha to find out what it's like to be a believer in Qatar, and if the World Cup will be a good or bad thing for the church there. Anastasia Hartman is the Middle Eastern advocacy spokesperson for the persecuted church charity Open Doors. She explained that while the myriad of visitors to Qatar during the World Cup are being encouraged to visit the country's museums, ancient heritage sites and shopping malls, they cannot visit a church as Qatar's Christian community has been deliberately hidden from view. I guess to start off with, could you kind of just summarise what is the kind of legal status of Christianity in in Qatar? Is it a uh, is it legal to be a Christian? Is it not? How, how are you allowed or not allowed to practice your faith? Mm -hmm. Okay, so in terms of religious freedom in Qatar, um, generally, uh, this concept of freedom of religion or belief is characterized by a very narrow interpretation in the country. So the constitution of Qatar designates Islam as the state religion, with Sharia law as the main source of legislation. But at the same time, um, the constitution prohibits discrimination based on religion. And also there is one article which uh, specifically provides for the freedom to practice religious rights um, to all persons. But these freedoms, again, are framed within the boundaries of Sharia law and um, so-called morality concerns. Um, so in general, yes, freedom of religion or belief is uh, in the Qatari constitution, but then again, uh, it's framed within the Sharia law. So it means that if you're a native Qatari, you're presumed to be a Muslim. And so what it means is that if you convert from Islam to, let's say, Christianity, then you are considered an apostate or um, the apostasy is a criminal offense. Um, yeah, according to the Qatari law. So that's more or less legal sort of framework as I could des describe it. And so um, I understand there is this single kind of compound where all the churches in Qatar have to be part of a single single site in Doha. Could you say a bit more about how that works? Yeah, yeah, sure. So that is indeed true. Um, some years ago, the father of current emir allocated a place for non-Muslim religious groups, including Christian churches, to basically build their places and gather for worship. Now, the thing is, uh, the compound does exist and it's still functioning today. No non-Muslim religious symbols are allowed to be um, displayed to the public. And 
Muslim believers, including the indigenous Qataris, are not allowed to enter the compound. So it's quite heavily monitored. You have to present your ID upon entrance. It functions well for expatriate Christian communities, as far as we know, but native Qataris are not allowed to enter, again, because they're considered Muslims. So that's one thing about this compound. Another thing that must be mentioned is the fact that nowadays, um, at this moment, this compound is quite overcrowded. It accommodates a lot of different communities and um, some of the Christian churches simply do not have a place to gather within this compound. So they've been seeking to gather outside, which is, um, from the registration point of view, is um, currently impossible. So the Qatari government won't allow Christians, even if they're expats, rather than Qatari citizens, to worship even in their own homes. It has to be in this single compound. Yeah, so what happened when this uh, when this issue with the compound being totally overcrowded began is that some Christian communities did indeed start a gather in their villas, which then um, yeah appeared as the notion of villa house churches. Um, and so they were gathering very carefully. Uh, without an official registration. But then in 2020, um, I think it was in September, the government, uh, the, the Qatari government issued a notice to some 150 churches that belong to the Evangelical uh, Church Alliance of Qatar, basically banning their worship outside of this Mesimer religious compound. And they were gathering in villas. Um, so, and since then, uh, some of these churches were scheduled to reopen and receive the permission um, no news so far on that. And other churches, there is still in some sort of registration limbo. And to register and open a new church, it is um, yeah, it is a huge registration hurdle. It is um, it is very difficult to find a place which is non-designated as a religious uh, sort of um, yeah place of worship, as let's say a hotel or a event hall or a school, and use it as a place for worship. It's yeah, it's practically impossible to do it in Qatar. And is it is it allowed or is it permissible for for Christians to try and share their faith to evangelize to Qataris? Um, no, uh, most Christians they uh, they remain silent because indeed it is um, very much not welcome in Qatar. You cannot just go and share your faith to um, to Muslims. Hmm. And so, are there kind of underground churches of Qataris who who wouldn't be allowed into this compound? Are they meeting in secret? Because there must be Christians, you imagine people muslims who are becoming christians and converting um yes we know that there uh, there are churches of course that are meeting again outside of the compound um we wouldn't call them secret churches we call them mostly unofficial churches when it comes to expatriate communities but then when it comes to uh, muslim background believers then as i said it's a whole uh, different layer of problem for them um i mean their religious freedom is even more restricting than for expatriates because, okay, if the Qatari government does provide a compound for expatriate communities to converts, well, for them, the life is, uh, yeah, it's close to impossible to basically uh, freely say that uh, you converted from Islam to Christianity. You will face a lot of uh, pressure. You will face likely charges of apostasy. And um, yeah, like I said, there would be a lot of uh, yeah consequences coming from the family and society as well. So, uh, Whatever we can say on Muslim background believers, we also have to be quite careful not to, you know, uh, expose them and to endanger mm. them. Uh, but what we do know is that they're heavily restricted in the way that they can profess anything but Islam. Mm. 
And do you hope that the World Cup and the kind of the world's attention coming to Qatar will help to change some of this? Have you seen any signs that all the media attention might actually improve the situation for the church? Well, what we can say is that at Open Doors, we do believe that the World Cup, uh, the World Cup gives us an opportunity to, to bring to light uh, Qatar's narrow interpretation of freedom of religion or belief with its existing limitations and uh, um, the harsh penalties that are uh, corresponding to this. Um, and we do believe that uh, now that there is so much attention on the country, a lot of media attention, and indeed a lot of attention from policymakers is drawn to the country. And I think uh, and we believe it is um, the moment for a meaningful and impactful engagement with the Qatari government to um, encourage them to promote interface dialogue and coexistence of diverse religions in their country. Now, what we usually say is that we actually praise the efforts of the Qatari government for allocating the place uh, for churches to worship this uh, compound. It does exist, and it's a big uh, plus in the country that Christians can gather. And so it means that there is openness from the Qatari side to promote this interfaith dialogue. And this is what we want to convey when we speak about this country, is that um, we shouldn't be critical, but we should rather be encouraging um, yeah, to basically continue the efforts to, uh, yeah, to recognize that the country encompasses different religions and they have the right to exist. Mm. Because you'll be aware that there's been a lot of controversy about Qatar hosting the World Cup and and some people are saying that they should never have been given in the first place because of various kind of issues in the country. You, you, so it sounds like you're saying actually you don't think it's the case that, that Qatar should be kind of shunned because of its policies on religious freedom, but really we should use this as an, as an opportunity to begin a dialogue. Well, of course, we are aware of the whole gamut of human rights issues that is being raised with regards to Qatar. And of course, most of them, many of them are not within our expertise. So we would not be commenting on them because, well, that's that's really not our straight. But what we do know about the freedom of religion or belief, regardless whether it is in the context of the World Cup or whether it's just in the context of, let's say, the relationships between, I don't know, um, a certain Western country and Qatar or just how the public views the country. Um, there are certain things that we can recognize as positive uh, developments in the country. But then again, we do emphasize that there are, um, yeah, uh, there is a lot of room for improvement. Um, so what we encourage to do is to always view it in this way, that um, there is uh, that there is no attitude of, you know, shaming it, but rather, yeah, um, encouraging Qatari government to continue the efforts that they have started some time ago. And if you were a Christian football fan traveling to Qatar for the World Cup, are there things that you should be aware of, things you shouldn't do? Is it okay, for example, to wear a cross necklace or, or other kind of visible symbol of your faith? Um, well, that would be very difficult for me to comment on, of course. But uh, what we do encourage the uh, the Christ Christian fans to do is, uh, whenever you go to, the, to Qatar, whether you're a fan, uh, you can always pray for this country. Um, we are aware of the uh yeah of the challenges that the persecuted church is encountering there and uh the most important thing is when we speak about religious freedom it's not only about like wearing the cross it's really about people um yeah being able to profess and to uh, like to hold christian faith sometimes so we just want first of all um fans coming to qatar to be aware of that and uh if you're a christian then go ahead and pray because um, the persecuted church in Qatar needs a lot of prayer support. Premier Christian Newscast.
Christian Newscast. To find out more about what life is like on the ground as a Christian in Qatar, I then spoke with Mark Derry. Mark is the Anglican priest in Qatar, who leads a church inside the compound Anastasia Hartman was describing. I started by asking him how on earth he, a South African vicar, had ended up serving in the tiny Muslim-majority Gulf state in 2022. Um, fortunately, I was doing my master's study in Christian uh, spirituality when uh, COVID hit, which gave me a wonderful time to just take a deep breath after all the busyness of doing Christian work and to have a bit of introspection um, and to carry on with my with my studies but at the same time i was asking the god the question uh, god where do you want me do you want me to stay here do you want me to go what do i do males that had dropped in and i saw this advert saying senior priest needed in qatar and i thought to myself isn't that where the world cup has been held um so i looked through it and and saw i met all the criteria so decided to put my kind of uh, cv into into the mix um, and with the kind of lots of prayer and uh, sharing it with, with other people, um, God opened the door. And uh, the prophetic word was that God is a reason for you to go. And to, so I've been here um, just over a year. So I'm pretty, still pretty new in the Gulf um, and certainly new outside of South Africa, even though I have traveled and studied outside South Africa quite a few times. I studied a little bit in the UK and a little bit in Australia, um, but it's the first time I really lived outside of the country. So um, things like culture shock and all those kind of things and leaving family behind are all part of this process of coming to join the Anglican Church here in Qatar. Fascinating. And can you tell me a bit about what the church is like? How many people come and worship on a Sunday? Uh, who, who are they? Are they all expats or, or are there any Qataris is there as well? About 20 years ago, um, the churches were opened up or allowed to uh, officially be recognized <laughs> in Qatar. Um, let me give you a little bit of history, though. A um, little bit of church history, always good to know. As you know, the... Um, the apostles spread very quickly after AD 70 and, and the fall of, of Jerusalem. Um, and so there's been a Christian presence in and around this area of the Gulf, Qatar, and in places like Abu Dhabi, uh, since we know at least since the, since the second century. Um, there are actually places where, where monks were. So Desert Fathers were not just in Syria and in Egypt, but they extended all the way into the Gulf area. And eventually, by, the, by sort of the 6th, 7th century, um, we found that uh, there's one that is quite prominent. He's now known as Isaac of Qatar, and he attended um, conferences and that kind of thing. So we know there was a Christian presence of monks and that within the Qatar region. Of course, then came the rise of, of, of Islam, and many of the local tribes then converted uh, to, to Islam uh, out of some of the out of the religions that were here prior to that. Um, and so it's very interesting. There's been a Christian presence, I think, in this area since the British came uh, during colonial times, especially through the uh, oil industry. Uh, Anglican chaplains would, would visit the oil companies on an irregular basis. Uh, but since the last 20 years, 
there's been an opening up uh, of, 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 of Qatar. Um, and so the Anglican Church is part of a religious complex um, in the city. We are, the Roman Catholics are at the center of it in this big religious complex. There's an Indian, uh, Indian churches on the one corner. The Anglican center is on the other corner. And all the Orthodox churches run up the other side of the complex. Uh, Greek Orthodox, Coptic Orthodox, Syrian Orthodox, Ethiopian Orthodox. And so just to give you some context, the Anglican Center, we are, or we have 26 breakaway rooms. We have 91, 92 congregations affiliated to us. Uh, these are non-denominational congregations. Most of them are Pentecostal. And so the folk that, that come to those churches and they run from Thursday night through Friday into Saturday and some Sunday, recognizing that here in the Gulf, we follow the uh, Islamic um, weekend timetable. And so we worship on a Friday, not on a Sunday. Um, although the Seventh-day Adventists use our facility uh, extensively on a Saturday. Um, and so it's quite interesting. So the different denominations come all the way from Indonesia, Philippines, Sri Lanka, Singapore, India, all the way into Africa, Kenya, Nigeria, Ghana, and down to South Africa, Mozambique, et cetera, et cetera. And so those are the wide range of the churches that are affiliated to us as, as non-denominational churches under the covering of the Anglican Church. The Anglican Church itself, uh, we are, have three congregations on a Friday, an English-speaking congregation. Within that, uh, we have 51 different nationalities from those same countries I've shared with you. Uh, but the biggest groupings come from Indonesia, Sri Lanka, India, uh, Kenya, and then uh, East Africa, well, Kenya and Uganda in East Africa, and then West Africa from uh, Ghana, Nigeria, etc., and of course, a smattering of South Africans as well. And uh, we have a service uh, at one o'clock. It's a Nigerian service in the language of Igbo. And then in the evenings, well, we've now reverted it to early mornings because of the World Cup. But in the evenings, our Tamil congregation meets uh, from India and Sri Lanka as well, following an Anglican service. So it's, it's fairly, fairly large. We had our biggest uh, service last Friday international service to celebrate the World Cup. We had almost 500 people in our service um, last Friday. We generally get about in our service about 250, 280 people at a time. Um, very interesting just to see the different nationalities all blending uh, with, with English and, and a liturgy being the co commonality that we have uh, with, with everyone. So it's kind of... Um... A kind of uh, ecumenic, ecumenical setup, unintentionally, I suppose, with all these different denominations sharing a single kind of compound. Does that work well? Do you see a lot of kind of unity in the gospel with Catholics, Orthodox, Anglican, Pentecostals, Free Church, all shoved together and, and kind of worshipping side by side? It's very interesting for me as, as, as someone who's only been here for, in a very recently. Um, because the religious complex is surrounded by uh, um, how can I say, fences for security reasons. Uh, you all have to come through certain security gates to get into the complex, uh, just recognizing that there are car parks 
Um, is one car park takes 5,000 cars and the other car park takes 3,000 cars. So we as the Anglican Center have every month 38,000 people come through our center, just the Anglican Center. I'm not talking about the Catholics, the Orthodox, or the Indian Center. Uh, so that kind of blows people's minds a little bit uh, that Christianity in this sense is alive and well in the Gulf. Uh, the interesting thing for me, though, is that um, it's taken an Islamic country for all denominations to walk through the same gates together. So when you walk through the gate, no one's saying, are you Catholic? Are you Orthodox? Are you Pentecostal? Are you non-denominational? Are you in Anglican? What are you? Everyone walks through the same gate. And so it's a, it's a wonderful little microcosm picture of heaven one day as people stream into the churches uh, on a Friday mainly. And and is it possible to practice your faith outside the compound, or is that the only space which the authorities kind of allow Christianity to happen? There are what we call villa churches. Uh, villa churches are what you might call like the axe churches in terms of house churches um, that meet in villas in and around uh, the city. There is an organization which is affiliated with us called ECAC, which is Evangelical Churches Alliance. And they also have about 90 churches affiliated to them who meet in homes uh, in and around uh, the city um, as well. And again, from all different uh, nationalities and groupings, et cetera, et cetera. Some are run purely as house churches. Some are run as more established uh, kind of non-denominational churches. And, and could you share a little bit about what ministry is like? I mean, are there, do you see what, how do you see God at work in Qatar? How, what kind of things are happening among your congregations? Um, yeah, I'm just trying to kind of see how to, how to phrase it. Um, I think the, the opportunity has been is that one has to recognize it in a bit of, bit of context. Um, Qatar has 3 million people living here. It's not a very big country. And it's not a very big city. Um, but of those, half a million are Qataris. So two and a half million people, I mean, another million have come in now because of the World Cup, but two and a half million people are non-Qatari, uh, coming from all over the world, mainly from India and from Southeast Asia and obviously parts of Africa. And many of those that have come have brought their faith with them. So they come already uh, part of, of, of either recognized church structure or, or part of a of a dispersed church structure. So within that, uh, those groups are, are extremely vibrant uh, within this, the migrant workers that have come in, come into Qatar. They, they seek out a place where they can worship. And those churches, wherever you find them and wherever they are operating, um, certainly in the religious complex, which I can talk about with some authority, are incredibly vibrant churches. Um, Obviously, there is a understanding that we are under Sharia law, and so we are in this country uh, as, as, as guests, and hence we also have to respect the fact that we are here as guests. And so it is not the same as one would be operating, for instance, in South Africa, where I come from, uh, where Christianity and other religions have been and are in the Constitution as being part of, of a freedom of worship. And so I think we have to just recognize that in terms of our context as well. And so does that mean that there are restrictions on, on your ability to do things like evangelism outside of the 
the kind of migrant worker or expat community because i understand there are there are rules that that say that um if you're a qatari citizen you're you're not allowed to convert or 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 attend church is that right it's it is difficult for people who are muslim uh to come into the uh into a religious complex or any of those kind of things that um that if they would like to come and walk, uh, look or view there is there are occasions where that does happen uh with permission uh where we engage in dialogue and that kind of thing with especially with students um but there there certainly is uh an effort to protect what i would call the values of of qatar amongst the qatari people which happen to be muslim values um, and so it is not uh, possible for us to, to proselytize, uh, but so we come in with more uh, an understanding of, of discipling people. So those that have come from, from, from other countries and other churches, et cetera, et cetera, uh, we do disciple and walk beside people who've come and have invested some uh, times and sweat equity here in Qatar. And do you have quite kind of fruitful, positive relationships with the Qatari authorities? Because I know it was, I think it was the current Emir's father who kind of decided to kind of open up the church and build that complex in the first place. Is that carried on to the current Emir? Yes. So it's 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 been a progressive uh, understanding and unfolding. I think people have to realize that uh, in terms of modernization, Qatar is a very new country. You know, it's only the last 20 years or so that there's been this kind of modernization that is that has taken place. And as societies transform and societies kind of move, um, these things have opened up and opened up and opened up. Um, I think in the early days, it might not have been as easy to, to host a, a house church as it perhaps is now. Uh, and certainly under the current year, we've been uh, allowed to continue in, in, in a progressive way um, as, as we've kind of moved forward and moved towards the World Cup and moved and we'll move past the World Cup in a few weeks time as we move towards what the Qatari vision is, the 2030 vision, uh, post uh, oil and gas vision that they are moving towards and uh, all the kind of skill and uh, knowledge capital that has been invested by migrant workers um, as well into that. So they've continued to provide a place for people who have helped to build the country. In fact, the Emir said um, a few weeks ago of how the Christians have helped to build Qatar. So it was an actually acknowledgement in an interview of the role that Christians have helped to develop and to build Qatar uh, into the state it is right now and will be in the future. And just lastly then, you mentioned the World Cup. Are you kind of grateful for the spotlight the World Cup has shown on this country that a lot of people probably would have never really thought or heard about if it hadn't been for the World Cup. And I know that's obviously come with some controversy, but are you hopeful that this will be a kind of really positive milestone in the development of Qatar, both for Christians and for the country in general? I think it's an incredible opportunity. I think for most people, uh, before they heard of the World Cup, would we say, Qatar, where's that? Is it in Dubai? Um, whereabouts is it? Um, and so, it certainly has, on one level, put Qatar on the map because everyone's gone and looked for this little peninsula that juts out of the Arabian, of the Arabian Peninsula. And uh, so from that perspective, it certainly has opened up Qatar to the world. Um, 
it's a it's a country and having been here for almost 18 months it's a country that really um punches above its weight if i may say that yeah just in terms of of of, of the world cup it certainly has shone a light um and i think the opportunity for me is not just that uh, people have been given job opportunities, but I think there's also been on a deeper level. Um, I, th I think if you read Western media, if you sometimes even in our churches and the way we look at others, this kind of othering um, has become quite a big thing. Uh, you can see it in some of the cartoons that are drawn um, depicting Qataris or, or Arab people and things. Um, they are very uh, racist or anti-Islamist or anti-Arabic anti or whatever it is. And I think this just helps to bring down some of those barriers. Um, certainly the, uh, the Qatari people that I've come across and the other Arab people that are based here in Qatar are extremely friendly and hospitable, um, interested to know about where you come from, what you're doing, all those kind of things. So there's a huge opportunity for a for a kind of <laughs> a bridging um, that the World Cup provides an opportunity for and in an, in an accelerated way. I think sometimes people are very surprised that there are churches that are functioning and functioning very well mm. in Qatar. I think people are very surprised when I tell them 38,000 people come through our facility every month. There's not a church in the Western world that probably has as many people coming through and it doesn't matter. I think well, what, what always astounds me is that temperatures here get up to 48 in summer. And 48 in summer, when you walk from the car park, um, is quite something. Uh, but people, people journey. We are a destination church. So people journey here. They get to a car park. They've got to find a parking. They then get up. They get out in the sun, which is in the 40s. They walk through a security gate. They walk for at least a kilometer or two to get into the church facility. They dressed up immaculately and they come into church. Why? To gather and to worship God. And it's just astounding. I know in the Western world, sometimes in Western culture, we don't find a parking place. We say, ah, oh, well, we'll go to church next week. Or, um, But if you understand people coming from the two-thirds world, from the global south, from the developing world, there's a desire to meet, a desire to worship, it's part of who they are. I mean, I've had so many folk come up to me in the last while who've come here for short-term contracts to work in Qatar over the World Cup. Uh, Jeremiah, who's come from, from Kenya, saying, oh, I found an Anglican church. I need a photograph. I need to show my mother back home that I'm, I'm still in, in church. Uh, people come from the Philippines and the same thing. Wow, there's churches here. We can openly worship in our churches. And it just... It's, it's a value system. It's an understanding, a sense of belonging, a sense of, of who we are. Um, and this church has grown. I mean, I came here towards the end of, of COVID. It's just our Anglican church. I think there were 60 people in the service, maybe 40 people. We're now over 218 growing every week. We're growing. So the church is alive and well uh, in Qatar. And uh, it's incredible to see uh, the expression of, of the people when they come. And when you've worshipped, many churches are very homogenous. You know, everyone looks like you when you look in the mirror. Uh, this church, uh, there are very few people that look like me when I look in the mirror. But I've never been in a culture where you look across and there are 51 different nationalities looking back at you, seeing things through their own kind of uh, glasses or their own prism kind of thing as to how they see you. And so how do you communicate the gospel 
um, in a strange land, uh, in, in, in one thing that unites you, which is obviously Jesus unites all of us, but also the language that unites all of us as well. And so it's been a very interesting adjustment. Um, but it's amazing that the church is alive and well in Qatar. That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget to also subscribe to the podcast on your phone or tablet to ensure that you receive each episode automatically sent to your device week by week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 